0: Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello and welcome once again to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Sattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a ministry leader, and I am a called and commissioned fibromyalgia warrior. Regardless of your condition, regardless of your current struggles, you are called and commissioned as well. But before we get too far, I have to be honest for a minute. I have been wrestling with this content, today. today's content especially, since I first agreed to host this podcast. And I'm struggling for numerous reasons. First, I can be pretty intense. You might have picked up on that already, but I've been told that the intensity in the room, it automatically increases the moment I enter. My daughter tells me I often have a strong, quote, Teaching voice. And the more deeply I care about something or someone, the greater my intensity. And I care deeply, very deeply, about seeing women walk in freedom and fully experience everything that Christ has for them. Because I know the darkness of feeling enslaved, I know what it feels like to feel like I have nothing to live for, but I also know the joy and the excitement and the peace that comes from living fully immersed in Jesus Christ and his will. And I know we all deal with our challenges and our pain differently. I tend to have a bit of a quote, bull in a China cabinet approach. That's what my family lovingly calls it. And as a result, I tackle things head on and and I feel strong when facing a challenge but this approach doesn't work for everybody. And I never want my, you've got this mentality to hinder my compassion. I never want my intensity to hinder or override my compassion. And you might be at a completely different place in your grieving, in your journey. And God might be asking you to simply rest, to let Him hold you and comfort you. And that's okay. In fact, if that's what He's saying to you, that's more than okay. That's necessary because he knows you and he loves you and he knows precisely what you need right now. And others have a more beautifully sensitive heart. And I phrased it that way, intentionally, beautifully sensitive, because that when people tell us that, that some are just, quote, too, unsen- too sensitive, that is such a lie. Some of you are gifted with compassion and mercy, and so that will cause things to affect you more deeply, but that's not a hindrance. That's not a weakness. That's not a liability. That's a gift. In other words, just to put it frankly, I need Jesus to show up today, and I'm going to trust that he is going to meet you right where you are. I'm going to trust that he's going to make sure that the truths that he wants you to hear, the words that will most speak life to you, that will resonate most deeply, will really anchor in your hearts and that everything else will just zip through your ears unnoticed. And I don't know your struggle. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Only God does. But he's faithful. He's with you in this moment. And I do believe that he still wants to use you right where you're at in a mighty, life-changing way. You might be sick. Your body may feel as if it's wasting away. But God can and will use you to actively advance against darkness with light. Because like I often say in my Faith Over Fear podcast, life is much too short. And we have too much to do, too many lives to change and hearts to heal for any of us to live enslaved. Enslaved to our emotions, enslaved to our illness, enslaved to our limitations. Now that doesn't mean that we're to act as if we're not sick and as if we don't have challenges. Not at all. Rather, it means that we seek God's will for us in the middle of them. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, God knows our lives from beginning to end. He knows every struggle, every tear. He saw every moment of frustration long before we received our first diagnosis. And yet he chose us. He chose us. He called us. He commissioned us. And he will empower us to do precisely what he wants us to do at every moment. Now, do you believe that? When you hear verses that talk about God having a good and hope-filled plan for you, do you believe that? So let's look at that verse now. You might be familiar with it. We find it in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. So speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, God said, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, he spoke that truth, when they were in what had to have felt like a hopeless situation. After generations of sin and idolatry, the people had been carried captive to Babylon. And so God spoke to them words words of hope and encouragement. And he began in this passage, Jeremiah 29, by declaring himself the God of hosts and the God of Israel. Now, that had to bring such comfort. First, he said he was the God of hosts, the all-powerful God of heaven's armies, the God who is more powerful than their captors and their situation. But he wasn't just the God of all creation and the angelic forces of light. He was also the God of Israel, their God. And God is saying the same thing to you. It might feel as if he's abandoned you or can't see you or is maybe done with you, but he is the God of all creation, more powerful than any enemy, seen or unseen, that comes against you. And he is your God, the one who sees you, remains with you, and will empower you to live a rich and purposeful life. In a letter to the exiles, God told them, and this is still in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 5, to quote, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So in other words, don't stop living. Don't curl up in your homes, in your rooms, in your bed, and disconnect from the world. Do not disengage. Yes, their circumstances were hard. And their circumstances weren't going to change anytime soon. For some of them, probably not in their lifetime. But God was still telling them to thrive where they were amidst their current challenges. I love this quote by Brian Bell from Calvary of Marietta. And this is on the passage I just read. He said, turn tragedy to triumph by accepting the situation courageously and put yourself in the hands of a loving God Who makes no mistakes? I'm gonna say that again. It's so, so good. Turn tragedy to triumph by accepting the situation courageously and put yourself in the hands of a loving God who makes no mistakes. The people were to live, they were to thrive where they were planted. And don't miss this, they were to be a blessing to others. He said, Seek the prosperity of where you live. We cannot truly thrive until we find our place in a story beyond us, in God's story. Like I said in our last episode, we were created for impact. We are created with purpose and for a purpose, and we will never truly feel fulfilled with ourselves and in our, our place in our world until we do what we were created to do and live fully aligned with all that God has planned for us. And he does indeed have great things planned for us. But before I get too far, I, I need to untangle a few things, some false perceptions that can hinder our peace and our fulfillment and can lead to confusion in regard to our calling. We we tend to confuse calling with purpose. And in our superficial achievement, self-idolizing culture, we often tie our identity and our value to our purpose as if what we do has the capacity to define who we are. Only Christ has the authority to do that. And he says we're his daughters. He says we're his children, his beloved creation, that we belong to him and we discover ourselves, who we really are, in him. And in fact, God might be using chronic illness to strip away our false identities, to help us grab hold of and rest in who we are, in our immutable value. According to Christ, we do indeed have unimaginable, indisputable, irreducible value, and not because of the job position we hold, the ministry we lead, the children we raise, or whatever is or isn't in our bank account. We are women of irrefutable, irreducible value because we are covered with the blood of God's precious son. And ladies, that is a value worth holding tight to and protecting. That is a value worth. Worth fighting for Christ deemed us worthy to fight for and he won our victory with his last breath when he hung on the cross to pay for our sins One of the best ways we can show our gratitude for that costly price that he paid is to learn to live in the reality of the cross, of the gospel. To learn to live in everything he created and redeemed us to be. And those precious gifts that he gave us, our identity and immutable value, they don't suddenly diminish because we're sick. Our illness can never expel Christ in us. Christ in us. Do we really understand what that means? Jesus Christ, co-creator, son of God, made his home in us. And it gave him great pleasure to do so, to be with us. He redeemed us. He fills us. He empowers us. He called us. He commissions us. And he longs to guide us day by day, step by step, breath by breath. He knows precisely where he wants to lead us and how he wants to use us. Remember that passage I read in our episode where I discussed the stages of grief? He sees every day of our lives before a single one came to pass. He's got our future all mapped out and he's assumed full responsibility to take us precisely where we need to be when we need to get there. Our role, it's simple, listen, surrender, and obey. That's it. If we want to live a deeply fulfilling life and touch others for eternity, we need to cultivate a listening ear. We need to surrender however God leads. We need to obey. There are so many ways he can use us right now. Can can you maybe sit and have coffee with a lonely man or woman in a nursing home? So when my daughter was young, so I guess this would have been I don't know maybe fifteen years ago, and I was a stay home mom, and I kind of felt like I didn't really, I wasn't really doing anything of impact, and and my husband traveled a lot, so I felt like I was kind of limited as to what I could do. And, but one day I'm sitting in church and I just sensed God calling me, nudging me to go visit a local nursing home. And this just seemed a little irrational. I was like, what was I going to do there? I've got a kid. Like, and so I kept putting it off. Well, it didn't go away. Every Sunday I sensed that same call just to go to the local nursing home. And so eventually I obeyed it took a while but eventually I obeyed and and I brought my daughter with me because I mean I couldn't afford childcare, and I you know whatever so turns out my daughter was actually the perfect little icebreaker or whatever for what he God was calling me to do but while we were there we went to a local nursing home and while we were there we met a man his name was Frank and we started to develop a relationship with him. And we, we, he loved my daughter. I mean, she was adorable. She had curly red hair, like strawberry blonde, and she was just adorable. I still think she's adorable, but he, he adored her. And so we engaged him and we probably came to maybe three times a week and we just sat and talked. Well, after a few months, we came and showed up and we were told that he was sick and that he wasn't coming out of his room, and he wouldn't let anyone see him. But then we came, and he came out, and he talked with us. And I believe that God brought my daughter and I to walk alongside this precious, lonely man in his last days. It was a powerful reminder to me of just how impactful, life-changing our presence, just showing up and being present and engaging people in conversation and showing that we care and really listening to their stories, how powerful that can be, and also how important it is to listen and obey. I wonder if I hadn't obeyed. Because like I said, I delayed a long time just because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't understand the value of just showing up, but I did eventually obey and God used it for something beautiful. Have you read Courage and Calling by Gordon T. Smith? It's probably one of my favorite books of all time. Smith has so many nuggets of powerful truth tucked away in the pages of that book. And here's one. He said, What does it mean to take responsibility for my life in response to the way God has made and called me? We learn to work with the hand that we have been dealt. We are called to be stewards, not of some ideal life or even the life we wish we had. Rather, we are called to be stewards of the life that we have on our hands. So, first, he said, We're called to learn. So the Christian life is an invitation to constant learning, learning how to live as God's children in every situation, in every season, in every circumstance. And second, we're called to be stewards, to manage well everything God has given us, our life included. And then he asks a powerful question, one that I have to ask myself often, and it's Am I willing to live in humble acceptance of the call of God? And like I said, I have to ask myself that question often. Am I willing today in this moment, whether I feel well or ill, whether I'm in pain or pain-free, whether I'm dealing with a disappointment or celebrating a win, am I willing to live in humble acceptance of the call of God? The call to love him deeply and fully, to love him with my heart, with my soul, my strength and my mind. In other words, with everything I am and to proclaim his love, his truth and his grace to a world that desperately needs to know that they aren't alone and that there's always hope because there is a God of hope. Ladies, we can always, always do that. And when we do, when we simply live in surrendered obedience to God, we bring light into very dark situations. So consider Paul, the ancient evangelist whose missionary journeys are recounted in the book of Acts. He lived in some really dark times and he endured incredibly difficult times situations and circumstances prison beating slander some kind of significant ailment that he wrote about in his letter to the corinthians so second corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 to 10 says and this is him speaking or him writing in order to keep me from becoming conceited i was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan to torment me three times i pleaded with the lord to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect The the steady dependence on Christ, there's such beauty, such power in that. Chronic illness can feel demoralizing and, and it can sometimes feel shameful. We live in a culture that idolizes outward displays of strength, but Christ shines most through our weakness. That's when his strength is made perfect or complete, when it reaches its full expression in us. And in Acts, Paul demonstrates what this type of living, this type of surrendered dependence looks like. And as a result, like I said, he radiated light in some of the darkest places on earth during some of the darkest times humanity is seen. And because of that, he played a huge role in launching the church and in changing so many lives. His legacy lives on today. Now, I discussed this in Holy Love's Unshakable, Unbreakable Joy Study. It's releasing next spring. So make sure to watch out for that. But for now, let's check out Acts 16 when God first led Paul to the Roman colony of Philippi. So Luke told about this experience in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 40. I'm going to paraphrase. A little. While in Philippi, Paul and his ministry partner they encountered a demon possessed slave girl who basically distorted their mission. She followed them around proclaiming that they were servants of the most high God. Great, right? Well no. No, she was demon possessed. And the last thing they needed was for the Philippians to think that Paul's message was tied to paganism or that this pagan girl was somehow connected to their ministry. Fortune telling and paganism can never and must never mix with the truths of Christ. So anyway, completely exasperated, Paul cast her demon out. Well, this angered her owners who had been profiting from her fortune telling. So they dragged Paul and Silas, his ministry partner, before the local authorities. And scripture says, this is starting in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in stock. So let's talk about ancient prisons, or more accurately, dungeons, for a minute. They were horrific places of death and darkness where prisoners were often sent awaiting execution, or sometimes they were just left there to die, just to slowly starve to death. And there Paul and Silas were in this dark, oppressively dark, damp, and when I say dark, I mean dark, like we're talking the inner cell of this dungeon, damp place with the stench of death all around them. They were in pain. Absolutely. They'd been flogged severely. Now, I don't know what that means because really flogging in and of itself was severe, but scripture adds that they were, quote, severely flogged. And then he and his companions bruised and bloodied bodies were placed in stocks. Now, I got to tell you, I know pain. I know what it's like to have every muscle feel like where it feels like every nerve in my body is screaming out, where I feel like I have kind of a full body toothache. And when that happens, I just want to lie flat in my bed. And sometimes I don't want anyone to touch me, the slightest touch can make my pain worse. And if you have fibromyalgia, you probably understand. You've probably experienced moments like that as well. There are times it can feel as if your body has truly been beaten and bruised and severely flogged. And I suspect that's how Paul felt. I mean, he was severely beaten. And I imagine he and his companion, they were just exhausted. I mean, probably... So exhausted, they legitimately wondered if they could see another day. And maybe in that moment, maybe in that really dark place, maybe they wondered if they wanted to. But they had a mission and they focused on that mission, that mission that exceeded far beyond them because they had hope in someone in Jesus Christ that reigned above their pain and their circumstances. They focused on Him. And in that dark, place, they chose to praise. So picking back up in verse 25, we read, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I'm going to pause right here. The other prisoners, maybe who were just, who knows how long they'd been there, maybe who were living out a death sentence, completely forgotten in this dungeon, in this dark, dank, stinky place, and they were listening to Paul And Silas, proclaim God, the light of Christ. And at that moment, scripture says in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, He and his household were baptized. The jailers brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. And notice, Paul and Silas didn't perform some superhuman act. They didn't launch a massive ministry or host an event attended by thousands. They didn't create a YouTube video that went viral. They simply drew near to Christ. They leaned on him. They proclaimed him. And the result, lives were changed for all of eternity. They penetrated a place of darkness with light. In that moment of darkness and despair, They grabbed hold of a priceless, eternally significant opportunity to reveal the love and the hope of God in a very godless and hopeless place. And you and I have an opportunity to do that as well, every moment. And in fact, there are people you will touch that others won't be able to, people you will maybe encounter in the doctor's office or at the hospital or or others who maybe you'll just kind of interact with in person, maybe at the grocery store, wherever you're at, or or maybe by phone or by letter or by text or through Facebook. Someone who will listen to what you have to say more than they would to anyone else because they know you get it. You know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to feel weak, to hurt, to worry about tomorrow and to struggle with doubts, but you have Jesus. And even in your most faithless moments, he remains faithful. That's the gospel. Not that we're superhero Christians who display superhero faith, but regular people, just people who trust in Jesus, who display a living faith, a real faith. Can I be honest? I'm simply not that faithful I can be moody, I can be selfish, I can be prideful, I can be so completely stuck in my own little story that I lose sight of everyone else around me. I've gotten angry at God I've gone periods where I was so upset I couldn't even pray to him in fact, that was me as my friend was dying. I went through a period where I just couldn't even pray, but God remained through the good, the bad, my steps forward, and my long slides back he remain. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's our God. And you know, sometimes I lose sight of the urgency, the importance of the gospel. And when my friend was dying, I really struggled with a lot. I mean, God was opening doors for my writing while she was losing her battle against cancer. And I really struggled with that, just trying to understand. And I felt like in many ways, I I began to feel like my writing was kind of pointless in comparison. It just felt, it felt, I'm not sure I can quite explain what I felt, but, but I really struggled with this. And one day I just had this impression or this thought of me driving along the freeway past a car that had crashed and was about to combust. And in this car, there was a family. And I just knew in that moment, if that were true, if I had at that moment been driving down the freeway and saw this car filled with people about to combust, I would stop at everything to get them out, to help get them to safety. And God was showing me through that analogy that he was calling me to proclaim light, to proclaim safety, to proclaim salvation and he was reminding me that this is urgent yes life is hard and yes we grieve and yes we have legitimate challenges but the gospel is urgent and sometimes we display Christ most when we're at our weakest moments consider this quote from the gospel coalition Sam Albury I don't need to look good so Jesus can look good I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so that he can look all-sufficient. That's our aim, to make God famous. That's why we exist. And that's my challenge for you. Just ask God what he has for you in this moment, in this season. Ask him who he wants you to love. And give him your heart. Just surrender your heart and ask him to show you his heart and ask him to remove everything in you that gets in his way and to replace all of those things with a love and a passion for him and the things of him. And then trust him to lead you because he will I hope this this episode encouraged you thank you so much for listening make sure to subscribe so that you can receive future episodes directly and it would really encourage me if you would rate it and I believe that'll help others to find it as well and make sure to share it on your social media pages so that others can be encouraged with whatever truth God will speak through this podcast so go in faith go in purpose go with Christ. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Givens, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com.